0: Made last night. If you're a Cubs fan, maybe you're a little conflicted. It's Brian Hanley here. Mark Xander, he's off today. Uh, I believe he might have been the guy who caught 700 and quickly exited Dodger Stadium last night.
1: He got right out of there.
0: First, he had the ball validated by Major League Baseball officials. And unlike the kid in uh, New York, in the Bronx, who immediately gave Aaron Judge his number 60 home run ball back just for some autograph pictures and, and a baseball and uh, get a chance to meet and greet with Aaron Judge. He didn't hold them up for anything. This guy made uh, made the quick exit. Now it doesn't mean he won't do that. He won't just give it up but I think when he leaves that quickly he's probably putting together Charlie Bevin's a wish list of what he thinks Albert Pujols uh, should give him to get 700 home run ball souvenir back.
1: Yeah, I can imagine the anxiety of just having the ball. Like it's kind of like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory oh, when yeah, the he's got the ticket, ticket and yeah. he's got to like hide it from everybody. I feel like it's exactly like that.
0: Well, can you imagine like the the two people out in displays who had the 1.34 billion dollar uh Lotto ticket.
1: Oh, and, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah,
0: and they they came it, but they didn't obviously want to go public with their identities because everyone I might be in front of their door knocking on asking for some money too. But yeah, I, I, the anxiety of having that ticket, and they say sign it right away, and then you know put it in a safe place. Well, what's a safe place? Under a pillow? You know, in the cookie jar, um, safe deposit box. I don't, I don't have one of those. Do you have one of those? No,
1: I don't. I mean, it's you know you keep it in your hotel safe. Like it doesn't seem <laughs> super ideal.
0: Um, but anyway, last night, it, what a cool story. Even as a Cubs fan, I would think I would hope to hear from you. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. You want to join the conversation? You you certainly should be able to appreciate the talent and the the perseverance of Albert Pujols with the tender young age of 42 years and 22 years in the major leagues. I mean, think about this: he hit 69, 700 last night. I mean, it, short of being in St. Louis, where he had the majority of his career and became Albert Pujols, the machine, as they call them who had the machine had very emotional moment in the, um, in the tunnel to the dugout after the on-field high-fives and, and back-slapping and applause, he actually broke down and cried like a little kid because it's a little kid's game. We all grew up playing it, uh, unfortunately, I think. In this day and age, I don't know if kids do play baseball, but I know that uh, as kids, we used to, even if you had four or five guys, would go to the local park and you know pick your field, call your field, and, and you know play a semblance of a baseball game. But the fact of the matter is that he never had a 50 home run season. I mean, think about that. Last night uh, he was his. He's had played 22 years, 18 seasons. He's had 20 or more home runs, but he hasn't had the Aaron Judge, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire. You know, eye popping 60, 70 home run seasons. And by the way, Aaron Judge playing as we speak today, trying to get number 61 uh, to. Um, Break uh, Roger Ty Roger Maris's uh, record, I believe, and uh, break uh, Roger Maris's set the American League record. Because if you take Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa, you know they had Flintstone vitamin help. As uh, Sammy used to say, you know, what do you think? I take Flintstone vitamins. Well, we know what he took, even though he hasn't admitted it. But Aaron Judge, we believe, is doing this uh, clean without any help from uh, steroids. So in a lot of people's worlds, once Aaron Judge adds on to his totals before the season's over, a lot of people will think that he set the single season record for home runs in either league because of the taint that comes with the National League home run race when it was uh, McGuire and and Sosa in particular, and then Barry Bonds decided they were getting all the attention and, and all the headlines, so he decided he needed a little help too, and even though he was going to have put up Hall of Fame numbers no matter, he joined the, uh, the club of getting some illegal assistance. And, um, you know, a lot of longtime baseball fans won't recognize those totals as being legit. And I would be in that group. But Charlie Bevins and I were talking about this before the show. Charlie, our great producer here at ESPN 1000. Um, what's more impressive, a single season mark that Aaron Judge is hitting right now or the longevity milestone? That Albert Pujols, who, by the way, said if he didn't have the, uh, if he didn't join the Dodgers last year after all those years in Anaheim where he was just kind of going through the motions and and Anaheim was always underachieving, he said if he didn't join the Dodgers last year and get rejuvenated by that team, that talented team and the playoffs and everything else, he might not have come back this year. And and his manager, by the way, Oliver uh, Marmol, actually had talked the front office into signing him. With one week left to go in spring training, he said, and he's, he's known Albert Pujols for 15 years. Not only that, he actually lives in a house that Pujols owns down in St. Louis. He rents from Albert Pujols. Pujols is his landlord. So if he's got like a, a leaky faucet, he goes, shows up at the ballpark and, and tells Pujols he's got to get you know maintenance guys over there. But think about that. If the manager doesn't talk St. Louis into signing him a week before the season, you know, he he's sitting at home and and thinking about, well, I have a pretty good career, but he's not chasing six uh, six ninety nine seven hundred and and doing what he did and and can add on to that total in the final couple of weeks of the season here.
1: Don't forget too, like he also there was the COVID year that shortened season, yeah. like that's another another factor in this this chase season.
0: And, and you know, uh, Charlie, you're a Cubs fan, right? Yes, and I'm a Cubs fan, long time because I'm much older than you. Um, There weren't a lot of really cool moments growing up that I could, you know, I went to, my brothers and I and friends would go to Wrigley Field when there were 12,000. It was snowing one time. I think there were 3,000 people there, literally snowing, and we're screaming at the home plate umpire to call the game so we can get our money back before the fifth inning. And, but that's, you know, that's, we we loved going to Wrigley Field. I know Peggy was talking about how she would take uh, CTA buses and trains, and we would too. We'd take Lake Street Line on the uh, L and then take the subway up to Wrigley, and, you know, it was 6th graders, 7th graders, whatever. But the Cubs weren't very good. And so one of the coolest moments, as a sports writer at the Sun-Times, I got to cover playoff games, not only with Cubs, but, I mean, uh, championship games, World Series, whatever. But as a diehard Cubs fan and an impressionable teenager love baseball, there wasn't a lot to choose among in those 70s with the Cubs, right? Um I, you know, I didn't get to go see Ernie Banks' 500th home run. As a matter of fact, my older brother, his grade school class was supposed to be there that day, but it was a really inclement day and they didn't think the game was going to be played, so they didn't go. And that's when Ernie Banks hit 500. But one of the coolest things I was able to do in the last game of the 1976 season, Bill Madlock, who was one of my favorite players, you know, played third base, won three batting titles with the Cubs. And so his first one was in 75. In 76, he had to go, I think it was like four for five on his final against the uh, Expos. And he was chasing Ken Griffey, senior. And senior sat out in, in the, uh, the Reds game because he thought he had the batting title wrapped up. And then they saw what Madlock was doing at Wrigley Field. And so he enters the game, I think the the Cardinals, or the, uh, Reds won 11-1. to and he, um, he's, he has to go get a couple of bats because Bill Madlock ended up winning the batting title by a single percentage point because of the day he had. And Cincinnati, they all thought that he had it in the bag, so why, why chance an O for 4, right? So And so Bill Madlock, the cool, the cool thing was, one, they won it. But there were probably about 200 of us who stayed maybe a half hour, 45 minutes after the game. And we were behind the Cubs dugout. They let us stay there. And we were all monitoring the Reds game. And as soon as that went final, we saw what Ken Griffey didn't do. Madlock came out and we all celebrated him, gave him a big ovation, and, you know, he signed on autographs. And that kind of intimate moment, I still remember today because it was cool because you were a diehard. I mean, you know, you weren't chasing playoffs and World Series with the Cubs because it happens once every century. But so those are the moments, you know. I didn't, I didn't get to see a no hitter when I was a fan. You know, I didn't get. I wasn't there for Holtzman or some of the other guys. So that was like the coolest moment growing up. I guess the question is uh, to Charlie and to you three one two three three two three seven seven six. What's the coolest? It doesn't have to be baseball. What's the coolest sports moment you were in attendance for? Um, I went to a Cubs World Series game and they got their butts kicked. So I, I wasn't in Cleveland when they end up winning it. I still remember you know, being tied up in knots like everyone else when, you know, the rain delay and extra innings and Joe Madden's kind of screwing up thing and Jason Hayward has to be a motivational speaker. But, you know, certainly the years with MJ, um, you know, you, you were spoiled for choice to if you attended some of those games and playoff series. But would love to hear, you know, your favorite sports moment that you were actually in the, the in the stadium, in the park, and what you remember, and what you, you know, kind of the story you always tell three one two three three two three seven seven six, And, you know, Charlie, I would think that you, as a Cubs fan, a much younger Cubs fan, uh, and being a baseball fan, you, you I think, appreciate what Albert Pulhos has done in the career he's had. And I mean, here's a guy, what? 13th round pick. Now, think about that. He wasn't Chris Bryant, where everyone was expecting great things from him from day one. And you know, racking up awards and career numbers early in his career, he was a 13-round pick, and I think that's why when you heard him in the post-game, um, there's a lot of humble to to uh, Albert Pujols. Let's take a listen because he broke down in the in the tunnel crying because you know it's it's taken 22 years to get to this point, but he's he's been a grinder and he's been a great talent, but he hasn't forgotten about you know what it's taken to get to this point.
2: I mean it's pretty special. What I think I shared with you guys last week, uh, I think when my when it's really gonna hit me when I'm done at the end of the season and I'm retire and probably a month or two after that, like I can look the numbers and you know, don't get me wrong, I know where my place is standing in this game, but I think since day one, when I made my debut, it was never about numbers. It was never about chasing numbers or anything. It was always about winning championships and trying to get better in this game. And I have so many people.
0: So that's Albert Pujols, and uh, there was a lot more to the post game because of the milestone he hit last night. 312, three one two three 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 two three seven seven six is the number. Mike in Lincoln Square kicks it off right here on ESPN One Thousand. Hey, Mike.
3: Hey, good to speak with you. I always like your shows. Um, mine was the second Bulls championship game. Uh, they won it in the stadium, the old stadium. Oh, yeah. Um, and they were down going into the fourth quarter. I can't remember the guy's name from uh, University of Iowa. Maybe Jake Hansen or something like that. But he, he came into the third quarter, hit like four three-pointers to get him even back close to it. And then the place just went nuts. I mean, the guys were up dancing on top right in front of Red Kerr. Dancing on the boards and all that type of stuff. And it just I mean the whole place went nuts because nobody thought going to the fourth quarter they were gonna have a chance of winning it. And then when we go home, we go up Damon Avenue to get back towards the Kennedy and everyone was out celebrating so much, they were throwing rocks at every car that was coming by. And it wasn't vicious, they were just celebrating, but <laughs> my, my, my neighbor's yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my neighbor's Dan. By the time we got home, probably had it thank God he was an auto body guy. They they probably had about twenty different dents oh, in my. the car. Yeah, I mean, it was just—it was crazy. From from Damon at the United Center all the way back up to the Kennedy for about, I'd say at least a good half mile, almost, almost a mile. We were like, did we do something wrong? And yeah. we saw it later on the news. We saw it later on the news. They were just like, no, everyone in the neighborhood was just out going crazy and throwing rocks. They weren't even throwing at us. They were just throwing rocks all over the place. Never
0: heard of the rock throwing celebration before. I've heard fireworks. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, gunshots certainly. You know, yep. we. Rock throwing, and and your guy was an auto body guy, so that's good. I mean, you know, he could do it on a discount. You know, save on the labor. Thanks for the call, Mike. Yeah, that um, that's kind of bizarre. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Lane is right here in the city, in downtown. Hey, Lane. Hey, how you doing? What's up?
4: First of all, I have to agree with you. I think baseball is an amazing game, and it's a shame that kids aren't into it like uh, they used to be. Somehow, we have to get them back into the game. But um, going with, I actually have two two um, magical moments, right? One, I was in um, Yankee Stadium, and the Yankees were playing the White Sox, and it was Roger Clemens' day. And the bases had got loaded early on. I think it was like the second inning. And, you know, Roger's mother was at the game, and I knew that he was going to challenge Frank with a fastball and I said, and I thought about it, if I know this, I know Frank knows it. And I ran up and down the stairs saying, Frank's about to hit a grand slam. And sure enough, Roger challenged him, and Frank hit it out the park. <laughs> I never will forget that. Great. And, uh, and, and Yankee
0: and, Stadium, I mean, you, if you're a baseball fan, when I was covering the White Sox well back in the yeah. day, the first time I went to Yankee Stadium, I got there... I, I, you get there early as a beat guy, but I right. immediately walked across the field, and went to Monument Park out in the out in center field. I mean, you have yeah. to you have to just you know you have to respect and take in the great history and, and all the great history that the old ballpark and and now the new Yankee Stadium is, is you know experiencing because unfortunately the Yankees are the Yankees right
4: <laughs> I mean, so, right I, I, absolutely you're so right and I, I'm going to tell you as a fan. um, when I walked into Yankee Stadium, and I've been to other stadiums before, but when I walked into Yankee Stadium, I literally got chills. I literally got chills. And and you're right. It's because of the history. It's because of, you know, obviously all the championships they've won. But the magical, you're talking about magical moments. No, I don't think anyone's had more than the Yankees. And so, no, you, you definitely feel that. But my other one is in uh, at a guarantee rate. When Carl Knurko and Scott Pasenic, I was there for both of those games when they hit their home runs, and when I tell you, people went absolutely bananas because, mind you, it was cold, it was rainy, everybody was like one big happy family, bouncing up, jumping up and down, going crazy together. It was unbelievable. It was amazing unity. I mean, it was a magical moment, especially for me because. My mother literally just passed, had passed away oh, a couple of weeks ago, so I will always remember it. Uh, 2005, I always say she was up in heaven. And when um, Pacednik, I'm not, I mean, Pacinski, when you know, he, you know, she pushed that ball out the way. You know, I totally believe that. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I felt, th- you know, so it's amazing sometimes how a ball club and, sports and baseball can affect you especially
0: in your darkest moments it can pick you up right this, this Sox team not so much uh, I appreciate the call lane thanks a lot you know unfortunately this is you know if you watch if you monitor twitter people are arguing this is the most unlikable Sox team in, in many years, if not ever. We can talk about that, too, if you want. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. 332 Jesse Rogers will jump on in. He's got White Sox Weekly coming up later this afternoon right here on ESPN 1000. But he's going to weigh in on Albert Pujols and Aaron Judge, and we'll talk a little baseball with him. And we have plenty of time to talk baseball with you. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. You got ESPN 1000.
2: It's really important because it's somebody that I respect, somebody that I play a lot of games in this stadium against and and, you know, somebody that's going to be probably our next Hall of Fame, you know, in two or three more years. Uh, you know, the way that he carried our flag, uh, that he, the way that he went about it, the way that he had opened doors, you know, for so many of these players right now. And I felt like, you know, he was there in batting practice today. We had a little talk and, you know, I told him, I'm like, man, I want to do this for our country too because I know they they wanted us so bad. And to be able to see, Hey, I knew where he was sitting, so it was really easy. By the second time, I, you know, right away I went over there. I just want to share that moment with him because I think he would have done the same thing uh, if I would have been in the stand.
0: How about that? That's Albert Pujols. not talking about Albert Pujols. He's really talking about Adrian Beltrade, as if it was his night. Longtime friends talking about how immediately, after crossing plate, went over... To the netting and, and gave him the uh, double high five to Adrian Beltree, his uh, longtime friend and countrymen, fellow countryman, alluding there to how, you know, opening doors for Dominican Republic players to uh, to make it to the big leagues and to, you know, in, in Albert's case, persevere and end up being a Hall of Fame talent. And, um, you know, this has not been some cheap home run binge in a meaningless season. Uh, Albert Poole hosts numbers in September and, and, you know, since he started hitting home runs on, on a regular basis, uh the team has really taken off and really separated themselves and will win the division, uh, going away. I think their magic number is four right now. But um here's what he's done in the second half, uh Pujols OPS is one point zero seven six, ranked second only to that of Aaron Judge, who may be making history this afternoon at Yankee Stadium. Three one two, three three two, three seven seven six, asking you what special moments you've actually been in the uh, stadium or the arena or the ballpark to witness and charlie Bevins, our producer got a text from your uncle who apparently has a pretty good memory
1: yeah so uncle mike shout out uncle mike he said that he was at the cubs game in 2001 he said it was very hot it was when mongo mcmichael threatened to beat up angel hernandez from the conductor's booth
0: yeah he was doing the seventh inning stretch and he got on you know angel hernandez on the microphone. Angel Hernandez, who's not really been the best umpire throughout the history of baseball, um, turns around and looks up and points to the booth and throws Ming out. He said, get out. I mean, I don't know if they actually scored him out of the ballpark, but the home plate umpire threw Steve McMichael out for for catcalling him for, uh, on the PA system.
1: Yeah, that's because uh, I've seen the clip now. Now, like, now that I think about it, it's, it's him just turned around looking up. And he's just so confused. He's like, "What is happening? I'm being yeah. heckled from the conductor's
0: booth. Yeah, who's right this now? guy? Yeah. Well, he's lucky that he was that far away from Steve because and once he got tossed, Steve would have got his money's worth. I was out in the bleachers when, when Mike Ditka came huffing and puffing up to the booth. He had apparently played like 36 holes of golf that day, and he was going to conduct the seventh inning stretch. That's a classic one. And he got there like right there while the organ, you know, the Frank Pellico is you know hitting the the opening notes. And he's like, All right. And he just rushed through that thing in about five seconds.
1: Yeah, as you know, as someone working in like entertainment production, I can only imagine what it was like oh. in the booth. What do we All do? All the people are like, Where is he? Where is Mike? And then you just hear because the steps up to up to that press box are very precarious. And oh, so yeah. like oh, yeah. I can imagine just him sprinting up those steps and into the booth.
0: And everyone's like ready to do one, two, three strikes or out. And he's like, One, two, three strikes, I gotta get the hell out of here. Like his car was double parked.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like he, it was like he was on his way home. It was like, wait, I, yeah. sorry, I need to stop. I got a thing. I got to take care of real quick.
0: Yeah, uh, let's check in with our buddy. Uh, I believe it's Bear Fan Bob because I see Twin Lakes up there on the uh, phone. Hello, Bob.
5: Good afternoon, gentlemen, and Brian. Anyways, uh, <laughs> hey, hey now. <laughs> yeah, well, you're producer, and that, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about this, and there's really two of them that, that struck me. The first one was the sunset over the 2001 playoffs in Soldier field last game that was really pretty amazing and you know you had to be there to see it yeah and the next one was the uh, 2005 uh, NFC championship game at Soldier Field I've been to lots and lots and lots of lots of football games I never heard anything like that before that place the house rocked and it was just absolutely amazing oh wait and till, maybe it would get a wait till and the, maybe it would
0: wait till the Texans wait till the texans show up tomorrow that place is going to be rocking i mean you're going to hear 63,000 people lovey smith revenge game are you kidding me bob i mean this is as big as it gets what
5: i guess so i stand to be correct. because <laughs> i will be there I, I will be witnessing the event and uh, you know if our uh, quarterback understands to go over the top of the linebackers with his passes he might even get a win but well what well, do uh, i know
0: Will luke getsy allow him to i mean we'll get into this but Getzey doubles down. Now, it's the anti-Matt Nagy, because Matt Nagy goes, I know we need to run the ball more. I'm not an idiot. And then he ran it 38 times the, the following week to prove everybody. So everyone knew he was going to run the ball, including the opponent. But Luke Getzey allowed uh, the, the, you know, I hope franchise quarterback, Justin Fields, to throw all of 11 passes last week. He's got 28 attempts in two years. That's the fewest through the first two games from any NFL team since 1978.
3: Now, I thought about that.
0: I mean, I mean that that either, and, and they say, oh, we have all the trust in Justin Fields. I mean, the, he allowed him to throw more in the monsoon against the Niners than he did against the Packers up in Lambeau. I, I, I
5: thought about it, and I have an answer for you. Yes, sir. So, oh, gosh, my dad is Sir. My name is Bob. Uh, long story short, as you watch Fields play in Green Bay, This kid, I think he has too much going on in his head. Mm. Okay, and I think the damage that Nagy has done to him, like he did to Trubisky, you know. And I'm a Trubisky fan. I liked what I saw with Mitch. The problem was horrible, horrible coaching. Well, the same thing here with Mitchell Trubit or uh, with uh, Justin Fields. Horrible coaching on the first year. You know, Nagy's supposed to be the latest and the greatest, and Nagy was the biggest idiot I think I've ever seen in my life. You know, and I think what has happened is he's taught taught him bad habits. Mm. And Getsy is kind of like got the reins on this kid and pulling him back and saying, hey, wait a minute, this is not how things are done, and if you can't do what we're telling you, you're not going to be the slanty-eyed fling master out here throwing the ball and giving it up and going to be throwing interceptions all the time and causing fumbles, this, that, and everything else and losing the game for us because you're stupid. That's kind of what I was thinking.
0: Well, we'll but find that's out. just me. Yeah. Uh, and Bob, thanks for the call. Uh, appreciate it as, as always. We'll find out tomorrow because this uh, yes, we will. This Texan secondary has been picked upon. Now, they allow a lot of yards, but so far the Colts and the Broncos weren't very efficient against them. We'll get into the numbers, but, um, you know, they can be, if you want to go deep on these guys, you can do it and with some success. But it's kind of, the numbers are kind of conflicting. We'll get into that. Uh, but first, we're going to take a timeout. We'll talk to Jesse Rogers. Continue to take your calls 312 332 3776. It's Xander and Hanley, uh, mark off today. You got Hanley until top of the hour, and we'll come back right after this on ESPN 1000. And we're broadcasting live from the old National Bank studios right here on State Street. You get Brian Hanley, mark off today. Three one two three three two three seven seven six, and we'll get back to your calls in just a minute or two. But uh, first of all, we're going to talk to Mr. Baseball here at ESPN 1000, mm-hmm. longtime buddy of mine, Mr. Jesse Rogers, who will be hosting White Sox Weekly starting at 3.30 right here on this here flagship uh, station. Hello, Jesse.
6: Good afternoon, Brian. What's going on, pal?
0: Well, we're talking about uh, uh, both Aaron Judge and uh, Pujols, and mm-hmm. uh, certainly Albert Pujols. You've been around both these guys. As a Cubs fan, uh, maybe it's begrudgingly, but you have to respect, 22-year career, never had a, a, a season a season with 50 or more home runs, but he's had 18 of 20 or more home runs, and I mean, here's a guy who was a 13th round draft pick, and we are trying to, Mark Potash of the Sun-Times on Twitter said uh, the only thing he can come up with close close to that in Chicago was Mark Burley was a pick in the 38th round, but... You know, guys who weren't expected to to be hall of famers, and and here's Albert Pujols at 42, you know, making history and doing it, it with a team that's in a in a division race, and hopefully he's going to make uh, for their you know they want to make noise in the playoffs, and that's coincided with their their run here late in the uh, season.
6: Yeah, the fact that he did it in L.A. I mean, it was it, it is a Hollywood story. I mean, him coming back home there, and I truly believe. His return to St. Louis has, has helped fuel this. His his comfortability there, the whole Wainwright, um, Yachty Molina, and, and Pujols' storyline here, I think that's that's what's fueled him. He's just so comfortable. He's a little bit more healthy in his legs. And and um, obviously he's he was probably pulling off the ball a little bit, pulling everything, and in fact was taking advantage of the fact that the uh, pitchers were not um, – Really taking advantage of him, in a sense. They, they were they were throwing him cookies, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to try to pull everything, and that ball started to go out. And it started against lefties, and then he was starting to do it against righties as well. And, and for a team that's in the hunt, and there have been big home runs, we've seen a few against the Cubs. It, it isn't just a team out of it, and he's getting his just to get the 700. They're important home runs, and I wouldn't doubt that he'll do something in the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, in terms of his consistency and being so good for so long, it, it, it's it's unmatched for someone that was taken that late. I mean, I'm starting to wonder how anyone passed on Aaron Judge, right? Should right. these guys be first overall picks? But we always say that in baseball looking back. Mike Trout was another one, right? It's easy in hindsight, not so easy, you know, when you're on draft day. And, and uh, that it, it's a reminder that guys develop baseball more than any other sport. It develops over time, minor leagues and major leaguers. Um, It takes time, and then all of a sudden it clicks, and and here he is going to make the Hall of Fame as as a guy with 700-plus home runs.
0: You know, baseball has always been my favorite sport since I was a kid. And unfortunately for Major League Baseball, it's Apple TV Plus for both Judge last night and for Poole And, you know, he just – and Mike Trout's a rumor because, you know, unless he's traded or, you know, ever leaves Anaheim, um, you know, most people are sleeping while he's doing what he's doing. So – a, only Major League Baseball could, you know, have a, a a moment last last night, which was pure. And as you said, he, he's with the Dodgers last night. He said that gave him the the energy again and the love of the game again. He, he wouldn't have been here this year if he wasn't around that talented team and you know had the playoff run with them last year. He might have just said, you know, I'm not. It's not worth it. And he ends up short of doing it down in um, the hated St. Louis, the most boring city. He does it with his former team of last year that gave him, you know, maybe the extra energy to get through this year.
6: Well, oh, I don't think there's any doubt. Whatever happened at the end in not Anaheim, but maybe just not even the end, the last like four or five years, really soured him, right? And yep. then he, he gets picked up by the Dodgers, then comes home to St. Louis. I think you're exactly right. Um, whether it be uh, ownership, Joe Madden, I don't know, but something bad happened there last year and he just didn't like it and didn't want to end his career on that note. So, I think he's been revitalized a little bit. I've been covering this story, and I've talked to everybody in that St. Louis locker room. There's no doubt they think he could play next year, be that that part-time DH against lefties and, and a few righties, but I don't think he's going to now that he's reached 700, but Sounds like he certainly could because he's going to finish the year with 20-plus home runs, and that's pretty damn impressive for a 42-year-old.
0: And I know you have information on uh, Tony La Russa, who is still technically the manager of the Chicago White Sox. Um, but uh, before we get to, to that, I mean, uh, the manager of the Cardinals, Oliver Marmol, I mean, the fact that he had a basically lobby for them to sign pool holes a week before the season started, um, and, and they went ahead and did it, and now he's been uh, one of the difference makers down the stretch here, I mean that's just you can't you know fairy 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 tale stuff, right? Yeah,
6: for sure. And no one knew he'd be this good. I I think he's surprised himself, but probably less than everyone else around him because he works so damn hard. And he knew he could hit lefties. It was just a matter of how good could he hit them? Like, could he? I mean, to the to the to the tune of this many home runs? I don't. I'm not sure he knew, but he works his butt off even at 42. And so maybe Marmel. Marmol saw something in that and saw something in his rejuvenation last year with the Dodgers and, and uh, decided to go ahead and pull the trigger. The, the key was would they have enough at-bats for him to be effective and sort of keep him involved. Like You just don't want it to be a farewell tour, tour with St. Louis, not for a team that's, that wants to win the World Series, and it turns out he is very effective, more so than anyone thought.
0: Uh, Tony Russa, uh the you know, Miguel Cairo said last night, still, you know, he talked to him Thursday, but has no update on whether he's coming back or not. I know Twitter, if you judge Twitter, most Sox fans are, are okay if Tony just, you know, t- takes care of himself elsewhere. Um, but do you have news on that? Any update here?
6: I'm hearing we're going to have some finality about this season as soon as today. I think that it's kind of obvious what's going to happen here. They're out of the race. Why would he come back and, and jeopardize his health, even if he's cleared at this point? So I, I think they're going to they're going to announce in, in in the very near future that he he's done for this season. I don't know about the future. That would be the that would be the big news headline. You know what happens to Tony Lewis after the end of this year? Um, is he back for a third season or not? Most people would probably put money on that he's not, but I certainly wouldn't put my money on it because I just don't know what Jerry and Tony are thinking. Only those two do, and they're not revealing it right now. But I, I think we're going to get some finality in terms of the rest of this year and just they're going to leave Miguel Cairo in charge. can't be a surprise to people, but at least we'll get that out of the way. And then as far as what happens after that, I think we'll know more the day after the season ends and Rick Kahn, you know, addresses the media. But uh, that's the big question. Who is the manager in 2023?
0: Yeah. And if it's not Tony, is it automatically Miguel? Is it someone in-house? I know a lot of people are, are speculating about who stays and who goes. Every, in my world, everything's on the table, in, including trading Tim Anderson, um, you know, because you're going to need to give to get. And, you know, Jose Brady is out of contract. Uh, no one wants you on uh, Mankata's contract. You don't have a whole lot to offer people. Tim Anderson's legit, and uh, as an all-star, two-time all-star, you could get something for him, assuming the health. Um, but, you know, it's, it's it's not like they have a lot to put on the trade uh, market uh, to, to shake up this whole thing. But a lot of moves have to be made. I don't think they can just do window dressing this time.
6: No, I, I, I would think they realize that. I mean, there are moves you know, there are pieces that you can move besides Tim Anderson. And I, I agree that they need to shake things up some, but I mean, look, you could put Kopech out there. You could put uh, Giolito out there. Not that Giolito's had a great year, mm-hmm. but any, but you know, he's got good stuff. You could, you, you could put it, you know, you could put anybody out there. You're right. You put Vaughn out there. If you want, I mean, it depends how much you want to change the dynamic and, and, and such. And you're right. You have to put something out there to get something back. Um, is it more about the X's and O's of your lineup and your, the skill sets, or is it about the mojo in the locker room? That's a big question as well. Yeah. I think if Rick and Kenny are back, because like you just said, every, everything should be on the table for ownership, but assuming they're back, they, they need to examine both the, the, the again, I'll just use the, the word the mojo in the room as well as, well as the skill sets that are in there. Because um, something came up short this year, and it can't just be, oh, we, we didn't hit home runs. There's more more to it than that, it feels like. Um, and you have to also prepare for the future. I think Cleveland is set up oh. uh, for the rule changes, right? I, and the I youngest, contact, the youngest roster in so baseball, yeah. and
0: the, the lowest yeah. uh, among the lowest uh, payrolls in baseball. And you know, there's only one direction they can go. And, and you know what? They don't look like there's any quitting that team. I mean, they, you know, you don't question their locker room at all.
6: No, you don't. You don't. Now, a year ago, we weren't even thinking about that with Cleveland, and we were saying the the White Sox had a lot of those intangibles. So uh, every year is different. But yeah, I'm just talking from an X's and O's baseball standpoint. I think speed and contact is going to return with the elimination of the shift and bigger bases and 2 pickoff throws, um, and they're set up for that alone. Um, it, it proves you can at least win this division without home runs. They're last in baseball in home runs, 29th, I should say. Um, the Tigers are behind them. Not a big home run hitting division, apparently, because the White Sox didn't hit a lot of homers this year compared to previous years, the Tigers. Um, the, the Twins did a little bit more. But anyway, yeah, uh, it, it feels like the division is only getting better, and the White Sox need to react to that.
0: Jesse, we'll have uh, much more on Tony LaRusse's situation and a lot more conversation about the White Sox on White Sox, White Sox Weekly starting at 3.30 right here on ESP 1000. Jess, uh, thanks for jumping on. You got it, Brian. Take care. Jesse Rogers, Mr. Baseball, you uh, catch all his reports here and all his great columns on our ESPNChicago.com website. Oh, Come back, take your calls, 312-332-3776. I want to talk some Bears as well because there uh, might be a couple key defensive players not available tomorrow when Lovey Smith brings the Texans to Soldier Field. We'll do that right after this on ESPN 1000.
6: Yeah, I think that's, you know, offensively you always have to have that. You know, stay with what's what, what you're doing, you know, your game plan. Uh, just, you know, and keep executing. You know, our big message to the team this week was really just all 11 on the same page in execution. And that's what we want to do as a football team, one play at a time. And I know that sounds rudimentary, but it's, that's what it is. You know, we, if we have 11 guys executing on one play, every single play, we're going we're gonna to be, you know, in a successful mode for that play. And that's all we're trying to do. And, uh, that's what
3: we're doing for offense, too.
0: That's Bears head coach Matt Eberflus talking about the offense. And uh, they were run heavy, uh, particularly late in the game against the Packers, much to the uh, chagrin of Bears fans wondering exactly what you're doing. And I lo- know Luke Getze said that, well, that's what was working. And it was also working against the clock. But um, he's doubled down and said that they would... Uh, if they were in fourth and one, and he would uh, have uh, Justin Fields in the shotgun, no matter, it didn't work. He said they worked on that play, and they liked that play. But tomorrow, they should have to throw the ball, and they should be able to do it with some success. Tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I'll be here, and we'll really dig into the uh, Bears game against the Texans. Lovie Smith bringing Houston to town. But Roquan Smith, who a lot of people said, where was he up in Green Bay? Well, he was actually on the field. You just didn't notice him much. But he uh, apparently suffered a hip injury during that game, which may explain the lack of uh, production from the Bears' best defensive player. Um, He's listed as questionable for tomorrow's game, which uh, means there's a 51% chance that uh, he will go. It will probably likely be a game-time decision. And Jalen Johnson um, reportedly hurt his quadriceps in the um, practice on Thursday, did not practice yesterday, also listed as questionable. That's a big loss, too, maybe even bigger than Roquan Smith if he can't go because no offense has targeted him so far. He's been out there for all but one snap in the first two games, and they decided they'll test the rookie, Kyler Gordon, who's had some rough spots and patches so far in the first two games. But Jalen Johnson is uh, somebody that uh, offensive coordinators don't really want to have much to do with.
1: Yeah, you know, Brian, you said Roquan Smith, Bears' best defensive player. I mean, are we certain it could be Roquan Smith or excuse me, it could be Robert Quinn, maybe Jalen Johnson. Well, Going into
0: the season, you know, you had the 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 sit in or the the, the contract non-negotiations and Roquan wanted to get paid as if he was a top three uh, linebacker. And so there were questions yesterday to Matt Eberflus about, well, he's in a contract year and you guys didn't pay him. And, uh, you know, will that come become part of a consideration for Roquan if he's worried about the future as much as he is about playing tomorrow?
6: Yeah, I actually have this audio right here. I can play it right now. No, I mean, I I think that Roquan's a pro, and, and when he's ready to play, he's going to play. You know, and uh, he's, he's always been that way, and he loves the game of football. So, you know, if he's ready, he'll be ready.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm with Matt Eberflus. I mean, you can, you know, pick a side on who is right, whether – you know, uh, polls decide not to pay him and not even enter in negotiations with him, You know, or, or Roquan was asking too much and, and maybe needed to prove it season. But I, I don't question his professionalism or his want to, and I would fully expect if he can go, he'll be out there and give it a go tomorrow. Back to the phones we go, 312-332-3776. I know people have patiently been waiting. Andy in Barrington is uh, one of those gentlemen. Hey, Andy, what's up? Andy. Yes, I'm here. Hey, I know it's been a while. Pre- appreciate your patience. What's going on?
6: No, not too much. So um, give me that memory that you guys are talking about? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, me yeah, me and my dad when I was nine or ten years old. Um took us down to um his favorite hole, Tui Lickers, got on a bus, went down the soldiers field, Bears against the Vikings. And uh <clears throat> I can still remember it. It was like the first time that Walter did that high stepping tiptoeing down the far sidelines across from us. Seems like he started from the twenty yard line. And he just did that, kicked his shoulders back, high tiptoeing all the way into the end zone. Awesome memory
0: yeah, with my dad. You knew it'd spe- it would be special. And you know what? Those those memories, you know, it doesn't have to be a record-setting game. I remember when my dad would get us Blackhawks tickets, even if they were obstructed view at the old stadium, you'd be sitting behind a post. I mean, you, they were very hard to get. And, and similar thing, we, I think we went to Pizzeria Uno or Duo when they had a double-decker bus. As a young kid, you're thinking this is the greatest thing in the world, right? You take the, you end yep. up at the old stadium, and no matter the seats weren't the best, you're there with your dad and a couple of your brothers, and you had a great time. Those are great memories.
6: Yeah, it was a great memory. One of these guys had those little six by six screen TVs with the big bunny ears, and everyone <laughs> jumped around their booth just to see the replay. It yeah. was too funny. Still remember that? It was great. Appreciate Never the call, it.
0: Andy. Thanks, man, much appreciate. It. Yeah, I mean, anytime you, you know, the first time walking up the steps, Charlie at Wrigley Field. And having watched Cubs games on black and white TVs, you know, because that's what we had. And to walk up those steps and see the, the green of the ivory and the green of the grass and the sunshine. I mean, that was just like, wow. It was like, you know, the first time that happened, you're like, wow, this this must be heaven.
1: Right? Yeah, I remember being a little kid and I would get picked up from like kindergarten and my grad would pick us up and we'd head out to the stadium.
0: Yeah, great, great memories. And uh, I wish I could have gotten to everyone who's been waiting. I appreciate you. Uh, giving us a call here on ESPN 1000. Be back 9 o'clock tomorrow morning if you want to join us then. I will be here. We'll be talking plenty of bears. We'll be talking with you on ESPN 1000. Have a great night, everybody.